The views you are about to hear on the Dr. Plus podcast are those of the individual participants and not their employers, any other organization, or the American College of Physicians. So let's get to it. Welcome to Dr. Plus, the podcast where we explore the hobbies, activities, and adventures outside of medicine that make our friends and colleagues truly amazing. I'm Saganish, an academic internal medicine and public health doctor practicing in St. Paul. And I'm David, an internal medicine doctor practicing hospital and clinical medicine in downtown Minneapolis. We recognize our colleagues for their clinical work, research, or incredible academic achievements, but we often don't get to hear about the other sides of their lives, their pluses. Here on this podcast, we get to spend a few minutes getting to know each other in a new way. Today, we are pleased to introduce Dr. Aaron Rutzik to the podcast. Dr. Rutzik is an internal medicine doctor here with me at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. And in full disclosure, I can say this, but he can't. He's my doctor. Uh, so, <laughs> Aaron, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, Aaron, I will disclose that we've worked together at Hennepin too. Uh, many, many years ago. And I get to start with the easy question, which is, tell us a little bit about your nine to five. What is your job? What do you do? Uh, my job? Well, I would say my mom is the only one that I'll say I'm a physician to, but uh, <laughs> I will tell people that I work at HCMC at Hennepin Healthcare. I'm in the general internal medicine division there and in the hospitalist division. And 70% of my job is in the clinic. About 30% of my job is in the hospital. And I have my own primary care practice in the clinic. I see my own patients. I also help to precept the residents in their clinic. And when I'm rounding in the hospital, I'll either work as a regular old hospitalist on my own, or I will staff the residents with their service. Just a regular old hospital, son, your own primary care doctor. He does a lot of things here at the hospital. I can personally vouch for that. So, Aaron, today we're going to talk about your plus. This is the Dr. Plus podcast. So we're talking about other things people do outside their their physician job, some, something that they're passionate about. And I know you have a plus. That's why you're on the show today. Tell us about it if you could. Well, I had always kind of been interested in beekeeping since, you know, like maybe I was in college, I would say. It just seemed a little weird and curious to me. And, you know, forever I was kind of overwhelmed by it. I didn't really know how to get into it or how to even start. Anyways, I, it was 2015 was the first year that I decided to go for it or 2014. And what I did was I took a class through the University of Minnesota. It's called Beekeeping in Northern Climates. And they kind of line you out and on what to get for the equipment and how to at least you know, start your hobby. And I joined the Minnesota Hobby Beekeepers Association, which uh, is just this wonderful group of people that meets at the university on Tuesday nights. It's a very eclectic group. I can imagine what the group of beekeepers looks like. I would just love to see yeah. that group. What was it that drew you to bees? You said way back in college. You know, what, what, what was it about it that drew you to it? Well, I always have liked, you know, the natural world and biology and, you know, ecology. And it just struck me as super interesting to see how that's like a super organism, how this colony changes throughout the year. And uh, I had no idea how to get into it. So, you know, I, I, I was just interested in entomology in college and, you know, seeing how incredible all these different insects are. and um, 
you know, they're domesticated. The honeybees I care for are domesticated. Well, I hope so. Yeah. They, you know, they're different than, you know, they would be if you were just kind of out on a walk in Afton State Park and came across a, you know, a colony of bees that was in a tree or a group of, you know, hornets or something like that. But no, I just have always thought it was really interesting and I didn't know anything about it. And that was, that was kind of what drew me to it. It was, what is this all about? You know? So how did you get started? I mean, you live in an urban setting. It's not like you live out in the, out in the middle of nowhere. So how does one get started in beekeeping in an urban setting? What did you do? Like I said, the first thing I did was I took this class at the university, which mm-hmm. is actually a prerequisite for getting your uh, license. And in, in, I live in South Minneapolis. And so uh, I looked up what the rules were and uh, I learned that I had to you know, take a class. At the time, I had to inform or at least get permission from 100% of the neighbors that I was living next to and about 80% within 200 feet and you know went through the process of getting getting that all in place. And if you're going to start the year in the springtime and in January or February, you call the bee shop, which is a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Yeah. And a lot of people know about it. You'd be surprised. Is it like in a mall? Where's the bee shop? I imagine some guy with like on the corner being like, do you need a, do you need a queen? I got a queen for you. Yeah, it's not far <laughs> off from that, actually. That's me now, actually. I'm the one who's like, I got a bunch of bees who want some, you know? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a pretty wild scene. There was, you order some bees on either online or you send them a check. And uh, you say, I want this many colonies and you'll get an email saying it's going to be the, the bees are coming on April 15th, you know, and if your name starts, you know, between A and, and G or whatever, you come during this time. So you drive out to, at the time it was in Stillwater and you drive into this guy's driveway and it's like a, you know, a U shape. So you're just going in one direction and there's zillions and zillions of bees flying around out there. Uh-huh. And he's got this little army of people in bee suits and you say, I'm Aaron Rusick. And then they look at their checklist and they say, oh, he's got two colonies coming. So they go, they grab him out of the garage. They put him either in your trunk or your back seat or something like that. And there's like 5,000 bees. It's a lot, you know, uh, and you drive back to South Minneapolis and uh, just hope it all goes well. So it's it is pretty wild. Aaron, literally, there's one guy. There's one yeah. guy. Well, I mean, he's he's got a he's he's since sold the shop. It was he and his wife. It's a pretty well organized scene, as you can imagine. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, it's it's his operation. So they get a semi load of these colonies, which are in boxes. It's like screened boxes, and they you can buy them in. Th- Three pounds or five pound boxes. Stop just for a second. I just want to clarify what I heard. There is a semi load of bees coming your way, and you just go buy them off of. They're coming to your neighborhood, Saganish. Yeah, look out. You'd never know what's in there, would you? Could be anything. No, you wouldn't. It could be one million bees. I have about twenty questions, but but <laughs> let me ask you this one. I want to go all the way back. How did you approach? Your neighbors. You had to get all of them to sign on. And and you you said, I'm gonna go. There's a guy in Stillwater with a semi yeah. truck full of, full of bees. I'm yep. gonna bring a few thousand of them home. Yeah. How did you approach your neighbors? I'm not going to disparage one of my neighbors, but I'll just say because I and I don't suspect she's gonna listen to this podcast. You don't know that, so be careful. I don't know it. I know this could blow I'm just up. saying this could blow up. I'll just say this. Somebody within 
200 feet of me was kind of sour grapes about getting bees uh-huh. and tried to torpedo the whole thing. Really? Yes. Now, you guys both know me. I'm not one to create drama. Mm-mm. In fact, I avoid drama. At all costs. Somebody usually has to tell it's me there's usually, drama usually. going on. Well, <laughs> I knew there was drama this time. The neighbor didn't want bees, and she called around to the other neighbors to try to keep them from saying yes to the petition. Sabotage, sabotage. Yeah, this person torpedoed my soon-to-be hobby. And then, so this must have been 2016, there was a citywide election going on. And mm-hmm. the, the representative for city council who was uh, walking and knocking on doors at the time said, hello, I'm so-and-so. You know, what kind of concerns do you have, you know, for your city council member? And I said, well, let me tell you. <laughs> This whole like 100% of your adjacent neighbors situation for beekeeping is absurd, you know? You fought the law, actually. I called my city council rep, actually, and I got a very lackluster answer saying, say, for example, somebody who lives kitty corner from you across the alley doesn't want bees. Why is that adjacent? You sought legislative action. I did. And this person who was running for city council at the time uh, emailed me the next morning after I saw her and said, you know, the city has changed the rules because they wanted beehives in city hall and they would never have been able to convince 100% of their neighbors in these gigantic buildings downtown to sign off on them. So what they said was, if you can get a beehive on a second story deck or on a roof, you can do it without any permission. You're kidding. Nope. So we have a little deck above our back door and I just put them up there. And uh, in a very Minnesota passive aggressive way, the neighbor and I didn't say anything about it for like two years. And I just would like shovel her <laughs> driveway in the wintertime and try to make up for it. I thought you were going to give her honey. I thought this was going to end with, and then I promised her honey. I've done that. I've done that too. Yeah. I can't believe about the political scandal in the bee community. And yeah. you know, and the, yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. You know, that's why we're talking today, David. It is. It is. Okay. So now you've got the, the ability to do it because you've put them off the ground right. and you get your bees from some guy in Stillwater. Bee from guy. Joe in yep. Stillwater. Yep. Now tell us about the actual process of beekeeping. So you, what do you get them in a shoebox or what do you do with them? How do you start off from there? When you, when you start a new colony, you get the equipment, which includes, you know, uh, some boxes and you know, that are like 12 inches high or so and, you know, 16 inches wide and a bunch of frames in there. And when you get the bees home from Stillwater, you put them in a cool place until dusk and you spray them with some honey water or some sugar water so they don't fly away. And you take the, you take basically the cap off the box and you just kind of shake it into the bee box, which is what people would recognize as a colony. If you're driving down a field in the country, you say, oh, there's some beehives over there. Well, you shake it into that hive and cover it up and stuff all the doors closed so they don't fly away and then come back, you know, a day or a couple of days and you introduce the queen. She's in a separate little cage. How big is the queen? The queen is bigger than the rest of the worker bees. I don't know. She's like a couple inches long, inch and a half long. So it's a big giant bee. Yep. She looks different. You'd recognize it as a different animal if you saw her among the other bees. So you introduce the the queen, um, they slowly will chew through like a marshmallow that's a plug on the end of the queen cage. And over about three or four days, the colony of bees will get used to the queen and they'll release her and she'll, you know, move out from her own little cage into the rest of the colony. And, you know, if all goes well, she'll start laying eggs and they'll start, you know, building wax and and comb and, and 
you know, make some space for her to, to lay eggs and for the rest of them to start gathering pollen and nectar and do their thing. So the queen is not, does not come with the colony. She's separate. And so you, when you introduce her into the colony, then somehow they know and recognize and stay together around her. Yeah. They recognize this is like pheromones to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. They know that there's a queen that's ready to lay eggs. They have to get used to each other for different reasons. You know, at different times of year, or if colonies last through the winter, uh, or even if they're if they're very successful in the summertime, they might produce their own queen, and then half of the colony will go and fly away with the first queen, as these new queens will continue to develop and emerge. So the colonies are able to the bees in the colony are able to tell you know how many queens are in there. Does that queen in there are they good with her? Does she belong in there? Does she belong somewhere else? And and they're able to help sort sort that out. There's, it sounds like there's a seasonality to beekeeping. You know, it sounds like you start in the spring. What happens in the winter? Do they die off or do they fly away? And then do you start over again in the spring? Like, how do you keep a colony healthy and active? Or do you put them in your kitchen? I read a great article, a newspaper article about, it was during the pandemic when a lot of the beekeeping clubs in New York City had run into trouble because a lot of the bees were kept on the rooftops of office buildings and they couldn't get in to manage the bees. So there are all these feral bees out there in Brooklyn cruising around. And the leader of one of the beekeeping societies ended up having a colony that he kept in the bedroom of his daughter who had just left for college. <laughs> and uh, Indoors. He kept the window. Yeah, he kept the window open, you know, and the door kind of closed. But he kept the window open a crack. And he kept the colony through the winter like that in, in New York, which is just really tickles me to know that. That tickles me too. What do you do with yours? Because we live in Minnesota where yeah. people can barely survive. How does it, totally. what do you do with them? Well, so all summer long, they're doing everything they can to keep themselves alive through the winter. And that is, you know, gathering pollen, gathering nectar, producing honey, and they put it away all spring, summer, and fall. And the beekeeper's job is to kind of manage them and to steal a little when they're not looking. (laughs) And so you can take some of the honey, but you have to leave a lot of that honey for them to get through the winter. So the university would teach you a colony in Minnesota needs about 70 to 100 pounds of honey to get through a winter at this latitude. So what, what they've done all summer long is they've been putting in all sorts of honey all over the place as they've continued to produce, you know, new bees, and what we did was we, you know, collected the honey in some extra boxes and we took that off in August. And so now what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that they've got enough honey to get through the winter. So if we walked out into the backyard right now, there would be a colony that's about three boxes high. And on top of that colony is another box that I can load up sugar water into. It's like two parts sugar to one part water. So I'm, I'm helping to feed them so that I know that they'll have enough honey to, or I hope they'll have enough honey to get through the winter. So that's one thing you do is you try to make sure they have enough food. And then in a doctory kind of fashion, you make sure, or you try to see that they're not laden with disease as they approach winter or throughout the summer as they get into winter too. So do they hibernate or, I mean, you know, we don't see bees flying around in January around here. What right. do, they, do, do they just hibernate? Did you guys ever see March of the Penguins? Yeah. You know, do you remember how the penguins take turns on the inside of the big blob? Yep. You know, both inside. Okay, that's what bees do. So the queen will stay in the middle. They form a little ball about the size of a, like a soccer ball maybe, and they keep her warm. And the bees all take turns 
you know, sitting on the outside of the ball <laughs> and trying to trying to keep everybody else warm. And then they burrow into the middle and somebody else goes to the outside. Yeah. But what's interesting is that these same one of the things that's interesting is these same bees that will live, you know, for months over the wintertime, you know, they're eggs right now, you know, in, in September. And over the next few weeks, they'll emerge and they'll grow into adult bees. Those bees, you know, this time of year are going to last for months. You know, they'll live for a few months or more, maybe. If one of those same bees was emerging from an egg that was laid in June or in May, she would last for like a month or six weeks. That's it. Yeah. But it's the it's the same genetic code, but it can have this little bee last like five times as long, you know? Right. Can I ask you a really, maybe a stupid question, but what is honey? It's sugar, water, it's carbohydrates, it's nectar from flowers that is brought painstakingly back and forth from a flower out there in the world all the way back to the colony, to the hive, one weensy little droplet at a time. And that bee will fly back and she'll come into the hive. There'll be little bees at the front of the hive that make sure that she's one of their hive members. Otherwise, they won't let her in. But she comes in and she gives that little nectar droplet to another bee and they bring it all upstairs to where they're collecting honey or making honey. And then she'll go back out and forage and and find some more nectar. And she'll make thousands of trips back and forth of of nectar, which is uh, like diluted water basically with sugar in it and what they'll do is they'll collect it they'll evaporate a lot of the extra water off inside of the hive until it's distilled down into honey itself and so if you have a spoonful of honey for your coffee or your tea that was i mean i I don't even know how many thousands of trips that a little bee took back and forth from her beehive to a flower or a tree somewhere you know so basically though it's it's bee spit yes or vomit. Yeah, it's like consolidated bee spit and vomit. Exactly. Amazing. Yep. My father was a beekeeper in Ethiopia. And we had probably something like five hives. He was really into it. And there's something about the honey that comes directly. It fundamentally tastes different. And like off the comb, I remember the whole process of collecting honey as well. You do that too, right? You collect honey and... We've heard rumors that this is award-winning honey. So maybe you can talk us through the process of collecting honey and all the amazing awards you've won. The the queen will lay eggs wherever there's space for her to lay eggs. So between the colony and wherever you want to collect honey, unless you want honey with a bunch of eggs and larvae and stuff in it, you put mm-hmm. this little separator, this little, looks like a cage in between the bottom of the hive and then the boxes that you want the bees to store honey that you're going to take into that's called a queen excluders. And, and basically there it's like this little slotted frame where worker bees are small enough to move through it, but the queen is too big. So she's stuck in the bottom and that's where she's laying eggs. And then all the honey up top is good to take. So what you do is you get this stuff. It's a bottle of liquid that smells bad to the bees and you spray it on a board and put it on top of the hive and it makes them kind of go deeper into the hive and off of the honey frame. And then you let it sit there for a little while. You take it off. You can take either like a leaf blower. Some people use a leaf blower to blow the extra bees out. Or you might just brush them off with a brush. Or you can just grab them and take them and put them on, in my case, our front porch. So we end up in our operation, which is just like one or two hives per year. We get about, you know, between three and five 
boxes of honey. Um, and on average, that works out to be like, you know, 80 pounds or 100 pounds or something of honey per year. And that's when you get your friends and then you get them to help you out to spin this stuff down. You take each little frame out, you take a hot knife and you cut the wax off. It's, it's capped. You cut the wax off, off of the frame and you put it in this thing called an extractor, which is just uses centrifugal force. You can put in our thing where you, you can put in three frames at a time. You spin it around and it collects the honey and you pour it into a bucket and it is spectacular. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I have, I'm like having all this nostalgic memory yeah. about that. Yeah. Just like drinking it by the glass. Mm-hmm. You could almost do that there. You know, it's. Do you get yeah. your whole family involved, Aaron? I know you have kids, you know. Well, I do. I'll, I'll get them to, I, I kind of have to make them help me sometimes on this one, but I figure they'll at least have good <laughs> memories of it when they're grownups. But we used to ride, speaking of just, is there a bee shop in a mall somewhere? She has since closed the shop, but there is a shop called the Bee's Knees or a, a, a beekeeping outfit called the Bee's Knees. And they used to have an actual storefront in Seward. And so what my family and I would do before we got all the equipment to extract the honey itself was to load the honey up on, we have, we have cargo bikes. We'd load it onto the cargo bike. It had like a kit on the back and then like a ton of honey on the front of this thing. And we'd cruise down the greenway over to Seward and get to this lady's shop where you would, she had these extractors that you'd ride a bike, basically a stationary bike. And it would, it would spin <laughs> the honey off into an extractor. So we have a, we have a lot of fun, you know, memories and fun photos of my kids spinning honey on these stationary bikes in Seward at the Bees Knees. So, I have been to the Minnesota State Fair, and on two occasions, I've gone. I've gone to the honey place and the bee place a lot. It's a fun thing to go to at the Minnesota State Fair. But on two occasions, I've seen a ribbon next to your name. One time was just this year, and it was in glass jars. Your honey won a prize, and then in a previous year, I remember little squeeze bottles of teddy bears and your honey won a prize. Tell us about your award-winning honey. Like to participate in the state fair feels like just a lifetime achievement situation right there. Of course, anybody can do it if you want. But I would say my proudest ribbon was we got a second place ribbon in the novice category (laughs) the first year we did it. And I was so floored to see that. That was the year that we had little squeeze squeeze bottle bears. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I was just on top of the world when I I saw that. I would never have expected or even hoped for something like that. And then just last year, I learned that the novice category that I was was up against like 12-year-olds and I dominated... I just demolished. You creamed those middle schoolers. I did. I know. I was like, I, I was, I was really, really glad to it's know a very that. Deceiving name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like novice. You mean junior? Kid? Like what? So um, that that was good to know. I, you know, just who my competition was. But, but it says novice. It says novice. That's right. We're taking no prisoners. We're taking no prisoners over here. For when it comes to honey. Well, what what are they judging you on in the teddy bear squeeze bottle competition? They judge you on taste. They judge you on uniformity of fill. You have to turn in 12 bottles. And do they all, you know, does it look the same or is it the same? And are you, you have to make sure you're not underfilling it because you don't want to cheat the customer. That, that was some of the feedback that I got once. Don't underfill it. You can't cheat the customer. 
So uniformity of fill. You know, it's life lessons for 12-year-olds. I know. know. Or 45-year-olds, you know, like somebody solidly in their middle years. We can all learn that. <laughs> can all learn that. Uh, uniformity of fill, taste, clarity, water content. If the bees get the honey, they, if they evaporate enough water out of it. By the way, if I'm boring you guys, just tell me to stop. Because I can talk about this stuff. No, this is so good. This is so good. I can't even tell you how good this is. Sometimes I'm at a party and I find myself well into a bee monologue. And I look around <laughs> and like people are just trying to get over the to the Cheez-Its on, at, on the other side of the room, you know? And I'm like, oh, I did it again, you know? <laughs> so just give me, you know, tell me. I can, anyways. Um, so when they're when they're preparing the honey or when they're getting ready to get through the winter, they evaporate off, yeah. you know, the water out of this nectar to make it into honey. Grade A honey is measured at 18.3% or less water. Okay. And that means like, it's not going to freeze or crystallize or whatever. That's what's considered to be grade A honey. So the fair will judge your entry on water content also. The bees are making the honey. How can you affect the taste or the water content? I can't affect the taste I don't want to give away secrets on the water content. No, don't give away don't give away secrets because otherwise, you know, the novice category will get inundated. Right. Well, I can't be in the novice category anymore because I want a ribbon. Because you're now a professional. And I'm 50 years old. Kicked you out. Yeah. I saw you at this year's State Fair one month ago and you were in you, you won a ribbon yet again. Yeah, we took we took second place this year. I also have to add, as we're talking about ribbons, my wife won a blue ribbon this year and I can't not celebrate that. In beekeeping too? Yep, with hand lotion and dominated. Not the novice category either. Yeah. Okay, Aaron, how does your plus, your work with the bees, how does that inform your life as a doctor? Are they completely separate things or how do you fit it into your life? Uh, it helps remind me that there's a world out there that is much bigger than us. And this is not to diminish anybody's illness, their diagnosis, the situation they find themselves in. I recognize that, you know, first and foremost, but I don't know. It's just, it's nice to know that there's an, there's a natural world out there that is kind of indifferent to me, to the people I'm working with, to the woes of all of us at times. And uh, it's just nice to see them fly in and out of their hive at the end of the day. You know, it's, it just reminds me to keep some perspective. I think. I love that. I think it's like, you're talking about just remembering our place in society and kind of putting our stuff in the midst of this much broader narrative. Yeah. A lot of people that we all see have a big road to hoe for sure, you know, and uh, they're not thinking about the bees probably, but there's a lot going on out there. It's a lot bigger than our weensy little lives. I also hear how it gets you connected to community. Like you talked about going to the U and being part of this beekeepers yeah. club and just getting you connected to other people outside of medicine, just to remember that we're part of community. We're part of this whole other fabric of society, you know? Oh yeah, totally. It's fun. Over the years now, I've kept kind of a, a mental list, I would say, not a real list, but I know there's people out there that really love the honey that are really, really love it. And they'll ask, they're like, kind of sideways, like, so uh, how are the bees doing this year? You know, like they're ready for to re-up their supply. <laughs> so that there's community there too, you know. Are you ever going to be the guy with a semi-trailer in your, your front yard? Yes, I will come and get bees from you. I would love to give them to you. Sometimes it gets a little busy back there. 
in Minneapolis, you can, I, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. In Minneapolis, you can have two big hives and then two smaller hives. They call them nucleus or nukes. And they're like, like a quarter of the size, basically. So you can have four hives. Well, we had four hives there two years ago. It's a lot of bees in the backyard and it gets real busy and it's kind of hot and not a small amount of work. Plus where they are in our yard now, they're not on the roof anymore. They're over by the fence. And so we've got this garden. I have to like kind of crawl through this jungle to get in there and deal with them. But so it's kind of, it's a lot in the space that we have now to have more than one or two hives, but I would, Saganish, I would love to have five beehives like your dad, you know, or. He did. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling you that might be like that might be his birthday present is like here's a hive. Yeah, for sure. I can get some honey for you to give to him for sure. So this has been super exciting, really fascinating to learn all about bees and beehiving in northern climates. We so appreciate you sharing your time with us, Aaron. Is there any last things, anything else you want to tell us about Air Plus? You know, I've just really enjoyed it. I I similar to the way I practice or understand medicines in some ways, the more I've been keeping bees or the longer I've been keeping bees, I feel like sometimes the less I do to them, the better off they are. When I first started, I'd get in there every weekend and pull apart every frame and look at everything. And uh, I've, I think I've learned how to help them live through the winter by messing with them a little less. And that is not unlike medicine. I feel like the more we leave you alone, usually the better off you are. Usually, not all the time. Boy, that makes a lot of sense in life and in medicine and in beekeeping. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dr. Plus. Dr. Plus is sponsored by generous funding from the American College of Physicians and is produced by Julie Sensuo. 